Good morning, everybody. Today we'll be learning Daf Mem Vav in Maseches Psachim. Hey, Barry, you're here too today. And Kalman <laughs> is back. We're having we're having a great day already. Eleven lines up from Mem Hey Amad Beis. We're talking about we're talking about chametz that is not really in an edible state. What is the halacha there as far as whether we're going to be high for that? Let's see. Very interesting. Tanu Rabbanan. See it? Hapas Sheifsha. This is bread that became moldy. To the point where a normal human being would consider it inedible. However, if you give it to the dog, he'll be into it. He'll still eat it. So we say, So we're still not talking necessarily um, about chametz here. Here we're just talking about what? Whether it could be, become tame. In other words, in order to become tame, you need to be considered a food. Once something is completely inedible, it can't become tummy. This idea of ochlen kikbechaveitza becomes relevant soon, but ochlen kikbechaveitza just basically means the regular shear. That's usually the shear, um, where a food, something that is considered a food, can become tummy, can be metame. Uh, Eleven lines up from the bottom of Memheyam and Bez. Exactly. Exactly. I love, I love Gemara's with food, you know? Yeah, this Gemara is with food that's like right on the borderline. So let's see. Yeah, you know what? We got to invite Garanowitz to the uh, luncheon, Andrew. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so. Um, so here you go. So, and then Yisrafis im hatamea bepesach. Oh, do you remember this? Rabbi Yochanan Sagan Kohanim? The whole idea of burning on Erev Pesach when you do the beer chametz. Can you, in fact, burn, right? Can you, in fact, burn it? Remember, this is what Rashi is pointing out. What does this mean, ben Yisrafis him hatamea? That you burn it with the tamay what, on Pesach, what's going on? So you might recall, you're burning it anyway, right? Typically, if something is tohar, you can't burn it, right, with true matameya, right? That, was, that, that itself was a machlokas. So the, the point that the, that the Brysis is making here is that you cannot burn true matahar with true matameya, typically, according to the shitas that, that burning, that's not, right, so we said, one shita was that burning is the great equalizer. In other words, once it's burned, what's the difference? But really, you're not supposed to ever approximate true matahar to true matameya. You're not supposed to put them together. So the point that this price is making that is that if you have true matameya, you can burn inedible, right, truma with it. In other words, inedible has the same sort of effect as being, as being tummy. Once it's inedible, then it's not really accessible anyways to the Kohen. And therefore, that would have the same effect. And then, so that was, the first shita, that was the Tanakama, and then Mishum Rabbi Nasan Amru, right? Rabbi Nasan said that it cannot, it's not considered food. Okay, so again, what was the question there? The question there was a machlokas whether once it's it's roi lachilas kelev, it's metamatumus ochlin, right? In other words, we said that the roi lachilas kelev, it's metamatumus ochlin. Rabbi Nasan's position is that even if it is roi lachilas kelev, once it's not roi lachilas adam, in other words, most human being would not consider it edible. Then at that point, it can't be subject to tuma anymore. In other words, whether it, a food can become tame is not based on whether a dog is going to go and eat it, but rather its edibility, if that's a word is based on whether human beings, in fact, would eat it. Okay, now, the Gemara asks, Kaman Azla Hadatnan. Okay, so when, right, um, so who holds, like the following Mishnah, we didn't say the Mishnah yet, but we're about to quote a Mishnah, says the Gemara, and we want to know, in this Machlokas Tanakama Rabbi Nassim, about whether something which is Roy Lachilas Kelev, uh, or Roy Lachilas Adam, is going to be Nifsal, is, is considered enough food to become Tameh, is reflected in the following Mishnah in Taros, as follows, says the Mishnah, Klal Taros. When it comes to something becoming Tameh, we say the following: Okay, so this is clearly like the Tanakama because it says that if something is human food, right? So let's say you have a piece of bread that gets moldy, it's going to be tummy, which means that it's considered food. Again, in order to become the have a susceptibility, the ability to become tummy, it would need to be considered food. We're going to call it food 
Uh, and what about if it gets moldy to the point where even me and Andrew won't eat it? It's still going to be considered food. That's what the mission is saying in Tyros. The only, it only, only once the dog won't eat it. Um, Birnbaum's dog, Poppy, only once he won't eat it. Um, Will it lose its status of food? Well, that was the Tanakamashita. You might recall that Rabbi Nassan would say that as soon as me and Andrew won't touch it, then it already loses its status as food. So this is like the Tanakama, as, but as the Gemara says, Kiman, who's this like? Well, the Gemara doesn't really say that it's the Tanakama, but it implies it because it says what? The Loka Rabbi Nassan. says, I'm not telling, I'm not saying who it's like, but I can tell you this, it's not like Rabbi Nassan, which is to say it's like the Tanakama. Poison, poison is a good question. All these issues of what would and wouldn't be considered food, so something that's poison uh, would not be considered food. I would imagine. Truth is, it's a really good question. What if something's delicious? Yeah, delicious. Yeah, and you don't know it's poison. There's there's a lot of different halachic uh, nafkamines. Anytime it says achila in the Torah, right? So so those things are subject to. So so that, that could be true of a lot of different um, a lot of different halachos. So what would be the halacha of poison? I'm I'm sure if you know that it's poison, if nobody would eat it, it's not considered achila. Um, but that's an excellent question. Tana rabbanan. Okay. So let's talk more about uh, now. Let's get bring it back to chametz that was inedible as follows. This is a brisa. Arevas ha'abdanim. What's arevas ha'abdanim? So we said yesterday that the areva is like a trough. This is the abdanim, are the ibud of the skins. You are tanning skins. Okay. So what's going on here? So the, the process of tanning skins in those days, you would have water and you'd stick in flour. Okay. Now, over here, the Tanakhama says in the Brisa that if you put flour within three days of Pesach, chayav levar, you have to dispose of that flour. However, However, had, had you put the flour in the water more than three days before Pesach, then you don't have to get rid of that. Well, wait a minute. That sounds like a, like a nuclear combination, flour and water, as you, as you approach Pesach, right? Because you, you would think that you'd be nervous about, about chametz, obviously, right? So why don't you have to get rid of it? Getting, getting rid of it in this case just means pouring out the water. So why would you not have to pour out the water if it's sitting there for more than three days? It sounds like it would be worse. So the answer is that when you're tanning skins, this water becomes inedible, it becomes disgusting. And as such, this is, again, an application of what we're talking about, food that's so nasty that nobody would ever eat it. So when the skins have been there for more than three days and it's marinating and it's disgusting this, nobody would ever eat it. And even though it could be leavened, you know, have the physical properties of chametz, it's inedible and therefore you don't even need to pour it out. That is the Tanakama. Then Amar Rabbi Nasan, Birnbaum gets all worked up every time we have the same uh, Manda Amar appearing in a different context, but in a grouping. Anyway, so Rabbi Nasan, here he is again, said, oros. This whole discussion is if you didn't put the skins yet into the trough. Right? That if you, if you put the skins in, then he's saying that it takes less than three days uh, to, to, uh, for it to get gross. And, it, and that means that even if, like Erev Pesach, you put in the, skin, uh, the, the flour in the water, then you still won't have, you won't be chayev and you won't have to dispose of it because the skins make it gross right away. You have to kind of modify what he's saying over here uh, when he's saying, because well, if he didn't put in skins, then what he's doing, all it is is flour and water. So it's not going to necessarily be okay that it's just sitting there. So he, he doesn't really, um, I don't think, he's really, what he's really trying to emphasize is as soon as the skins are there, then it's not going to even matter if it's within three days because it's going to get putrid right away. Okay. Now, I'm a rava, halachic rabbi nasan. Here's halachic is like rabbi nasan, right? And the implication is that what rabbi nasan meant was even immediately. In other words, as long as there's skins there, it's going to be enough of a gross, almost, uh, one would argue, well, so incredibly putrid that you would never, nobody would ever eat it. And therefore, once you're at a point where nobody would ever eat it, you don't have a problem with chametz there. Okay, so now we're at the two dots 
uh, four lines up from the bottom of Mimheim and Beis, and we're getting back into the very interesting halakha that the Mishnah had said. The Mishnah said that when it came to, remember, we talked about hakpada, right? We talked about when you had chametz, and we talked about if you're makbid and you're not makbid, uh, whether it creates a chatzitza, and uh, etc. And we were talking about, if you might remember, the, the trough, right? So we were talking about if the chametz actually blocks up let's say, a hole in the trough, and you consider it already part of the trough, so then you're going to right, consider it part of it, you could even be tovelet, so then it applied that concept to tuma and tara. What was the case? The case there was, let's say you have a kli that's tummy, and you want to dunk it in the mikvah. So, the, the, so as we know, when you dunk in the mikvah, sometimes if you have something, as we mentioned this yesterday, if, uh, when we learned the Mishnah, that if you have something that's a chatzitza, then the dunking is not going to be any good, right? You're not going to become tar from, from your tevila, okay? But if something is a part of you, so then we're going to say, well, that's already a part of you, and we're, it's going to be considered tevila. That's the concept of makpid versus enu makpid. Makpid means, let's say, um, I have uh, something that's going to be removed later. So let's say I'm dunking with my orthodontic retainer. So then maybe that would be a chatzitza. Let's assume that, e- that even things that are inside your mouth or a chatzitza. So I wore my retainer. I didn't take it out. My removable orthodontic retainer when I go to dump. So I'm makbid, right? I'm using this thing. That, that would be create a chatzitza. However, if I have a fixed orthodontic retainer, and we're getting really granular here, so try to follow. I know, I know, I know, because Andrew dropped out of orthodontic school after three weeks. It was a very sad day for me. So, so if you have, so, so there's something called a fixed orthodontic retainer, which stays in your mouth, okay? And there's something called a removable orthodontic retainer. So if it's a removable, it means you're mapid, and that's going to create a chatzitza. If it's fixed, it means anomakbid, means you expect it to stay there, and therefore it's part of you, and therefore it's not going to be chatzitza. Why are we even bringing this up? Because of chametz, right? If you have chametz, um, well, then, then it's going to be what? If it's going to be something that you expect to stay there, right? Let's say it's dough. So if it's an amount of dough that you expect it to stay there and it's never going to move, how so? Because they used to actually, when the dough would dry up, they would let it become sort of part of the clee in order to keep it there so that the clee doesn't wear out. In other words, as the clee wears out, so that it doesn't seep out. So then it's part of the clee. So then you could actually literally, so much so, much so that's not even considered a chatitza. If, if you had the clee and you dunked it, it would become tahar. As opposed to, if it's a shear that's, that's more, they were considered that you're going to be mocked on it, or if you're going to remove it, so then of course it's not part of the kli, and then the entire kli can't be dunked, it, it's not going to become tar. So let's, now that we have that background, we can flesh it out. So it says the Gemara. Okay, so v'chein in tumah, that this, which we said with regards to chametz, is also true with tumah, which means when you're dunking a kli in the mikvah to make a tar. In makbid alavchot says, just like we said, if you are makbid, right, it's like a removable retainer, so then it's considered a chatzitza. Vim roitza but if it's like a permanent orthodontic retainer, and you want it to stay there, and you're never going to take it out, then it becomes like it's part of the kli, and then it actually can be done. So now the Gemara is going to say, me dummy? What happens if you have a chametz under your crown? This is a great question. Because I have that, you know. Hopefully you have less than kazais of chametz under your crown. Um, we're going to actually get into that here. Not, not exactly, but we're going to talk about the difference between chametz and other things, and it maybe it'll depend on whether you're dunking on Pesach or dunking during the year. Let's see how this gets actually very interesting as follows. Mi dummy. Okay. Are the halachas, mi dummy means like this. The, the Mishnah's lushan was v'chein le'inyatumah. Right? We learned all the halachas yesterday with regards to chametz, uh, and whether you're makbid, and now we're saying that that's the same thing as dunking something that's tame during the year. So the Mishnah's mi dummy. Are those two halachas similar? Over there, which meaning by chametz that we learned yesterday, all we were talking about it was really there was we talked about more than shear of kazais, but that was definitely a big that was definitely a big topic whether it was more of a kazais or not, and that would depend. In other words, whether you're makbid or not depended a lot on whether you had more of a kazais of chametz. Because don't forget, we had shitas that said that even if you are expecting to leave it there, if you have such a large clump of chametz that it's more than a kazais, the chiddush is that you might be considering it um, significant enough, right, to be considered a chatzitza, even if you intend to leave it there. So, so Chametz is in fact very different than Tumah, because as the Gemara continues to say, When it comes to the Tumah, we're not depending on the, on the Shear, but we're more dependent on whether in, 
entirely on whether you um, plan to leave it there or not, whether you're mockbit or not, irrespective of how big it is. Okay, so now we're going to analyze this a little bit more. Amar Rabbi Yehuda. hatuma ain't okay. Okay, so Rabbi Yehuda takes the liberty to totally amend the, the Mishnah. In other words, the Mishnah said, tuma. So Rabbi Yehuda said, let's just kind of like say, tuma. And then we won't have this issue. Then we'll say, you know, Chameitz is depending on size. Tuma is depending on whether you're Makbid or not. To which Abaye objected. He, he did not like uh, Rabbi Yehuda amending the Mishnah. And he said, Amalei Abaye, uh, ha tuma katani. So that, that's a beautiful chart, except for that's not what the Mishnah says. The Mishnah says, tuma, that it's the same. Okay, Salam Rabbi Abai is going to offer his own interpretation as follows. Hachi Kamar, Vechain, as we finally arrive in Membav Ahmed Aleph, we're going to dedicate this daf to Rishua David Marchak. I told him I'd give him a shout out, but we got to keep moving. Uh, I want to give him a maybe bigger shout out tomorrow because hopefully we'll catch up. Let's see. So we say like this The Inan Tirif Tumah Bepesach, he lives in Farakwe. It's a whole long story. It's going to be, I'm going to incorporate it into the rest of the story and we'll tell you after. The Inan Tirif Tumah Bepesach. In other words, like this Abai is going to say, Vechain, the Inan Tirif Tumah Bepesach. In other words, on Pesach, it's going to be the same. And then the rest of the, in other words, Tumah and Chametz are going to be the same. And the rest of the year, it's going to be different. If your head is spinning, don't worry, we're going to explain how this works right now, as follows. That according to the rest of the year, it's going to be different. As the Gemara says, that the difference, the distinction, this plukta, this distinction between size and your intention is during the rest of the year, but on Pesach itself, right, it's going to be, um, it's going to be similar. How does this work? Let's, let's, let's see. Hechi dummy. How does this work? So as follows. Kagon, Okay. So let's say you have a kli. Okay. The kli, as we said, in order to become, in order for food to become tame, it has to have a, a shear of a kabesa. Okay. That's the critical shear for tuma. The critical shear for chametz is a kazais. Where are you going to be chayev? Okay. So now we're going to deal with a kazais in half. More than a kazais. Okay. For Pesach purposes. Less than a kabeza for tuma purposes. So here we go. Let's say you have pachas mikabezas. Let's say you have a kazais and a half inside a kli. Okay? And it's stuck in there. You might, in fact, uh, say that it's part of the kli. Now, v'nogu b'hai batzeik. And you're also, we're going to stick in here another, some more dough on top of it. Okay? That's also going to be a kazais and a half. So now, together, you have more than a kabeza. Between the dough that's stuck in the pot and the dough that you're introducing, you're going to have more than a kabeza. So what's going to happen here? As follows. The Pesach, the Isuro Chashev, right, mitztarif, right? During Pesach, right, where are you going to say that, that the shear is more than a kazais, then you combine the two foods and you complete it to create what? More than a kabeza. Okay? Bishari Moshashana, the big Talia Milsa, in Makpidal of Mitztarif, Imrotsubikiyumo, Hareyu Kareva. So that's how this works. As follows. Uh, during the rest of the year, Right, with regards to the tumma itself, all you care about is whether you're makbid or not. So let's say you have again a kazais and a half of, of dough, we'll call it, of chametz, it's dough, stuck to the kli. So during the rest of the year, the only criteria, as the Mishnah says, is whether you're makbid or not, or not on it. So if you intend to leave it there the, forever, right, so then even if it's more than a kazais, the rest of the year, it's not going to be significant, which is to say it's going to be considered part of the kli entirely, such that even if you put in the something else that was tummy that was more than a kazais, they would they would not join because after all, it's considered as if you just put in a kazais and a half of dough inside a kli. It's not enough of a shear. It's not a kabeza, and therefore you this dough would not become tummy. The new dough they introduced would not be able to be makabel tuma. However, on Pesach, by virtue of it being more than a kazais, that already becomes significant by definition. 
So again, on Pesach, the dough in the kli, even if you intended to stay in the kli forever, is considered not to be part of the kli by virtue of the significance of being greater than a kazayas. As opposed to the rest of the year, that dough that's in the kli is considered to be part of the kli and thus totally insignificant. So that makes a difference. If during the year it's insignificant, then it's not mitzaref to the dough that you're bringing in. And if during the year, Pesach it is significant, then it is mitzaref to the dough that you put in. And the re- uh, final result would be that if you introduce kazayas and half of dough into this pot, then it would become mitzaref on Pesach and thus tamay, and not mitzaref for the rest of the year and, and can't become tamay. Wow. So that was my suggestion. So did Rava like a bias suggestion? You want to guess? All right, I'll read it inside. Matkif la Rava. Rava, was, Rava disagreed with the bias. Can you believe it? So you said it like this. Miketani mitzarif. Wait a minute. Beautiful shot, but this shot has to do with tziruf. And the Mishnah never said tziruf. The Mishnah, what was the last of the Mishnah? It says, V'chein le'inyan tumah, makpidol avchotzes. It's talking about chatzitza. Who said anything about tziruf? Right, Mikitani, right, Mikitani mitzarif achotzes kitani. The Mishnah was talking about chatzitza. So whatever shot you're going to say, it's not going to have to do with tziruf. It's going to have to do with chatzitza. Uh-huh. Okay, so now Rav is going to explain how is the, what does the Mishnah mean when Tumah is similar to Chamit with respect to Chatzitza, as follows. Uh-huh. It's talking about dunking this kli. You're dunking this kli in a mikvah. Hechi dami, the following. Okay, so you had Tameh dough stuck to your kli. And you want to, you know, dunk that in the mikvah in order to make it to her. So the Pesach, the Yisur HaChashev, on Pesach, when we say that this, it's greater than Kazayis and therefore it's significant, it's Chashev Chatzitz, Right? It's going to be considered a chatzitza, and the tvila is not going to work. It's still going to remain tummy. However, right? as we discussed, it all depends on whether you're makbid on it staying there or not. So, if you're going to plan to one day take out this dough, it's going to be considered a chatzitza. It's going to have its own individual individuality, its own significance. However, if you plan on leaving the dough there forever and stuck there and crusted over as part of the kli, then it's considered literally part of the kli, and even as you dunk it with this chamitz on it, it, the entire kli, everything's going to be tahar because that chametz is not considered a chasitza. Okay, so that is the difference between Pesach and Shari Yimos Hashanah. Okay, and that is how it's similar but different. In other words, you have some of the same concerns, right, as far as the fact that it's both of them with, with tevila. Uh, and you could say that just like on Pesach, when it's chashuv, it's going to be a chasitza. So too, on tevila, with regards to Tumah, if you're makbid, then it's considered a chasitza. So in that sense, chashivus uh, that you get from being more than a kazayas on Pesach is analogous to hakpada with regards to Tumah. And that's how those two uh, issues actually compare. This, I, I, I'm accused often by Birnbaum as being a Rava guy. That Rava always makes sense to me. It makes sense to me. Anyway, it didn't make sense to Rav Papa. Matki Flor of Papa. Rav Papa didn't like this. We always talk about Rav Papa being a peacemaker, but we should also point out we've had Matki Flor of Papa quite a few times already. So when he sticks to his guns, when he sees something he doesn't like, he did not like this shot. He objected and he says, Miketani, Katani. Yeah, the, yeah, it looks like they were all learning together. It seemed like some yeshiva, right? Yeah. Well, we got a good crew here too, but I don't know if we can compare to that crew. But we're going to try. At least we're reading about what they learned. Okay, so Matthew Lara Papa, Mikatani, Bechengli, Inyan Tara, Hala Inyan Tuma Katani. Wait a minute. It, it didn't, you're, that's a nice shot, Rava. But, it, but you're talking about, but you're talking about Tara, being Matara, something in the mikvah. But with, with, with the Mishnah didn't say Tara, the Mishnah says Bechengli, Inyan Tuma. It wasn't talking about Matara or something. The context was we were talking about Matami something. So again, I'm with Rava. I'm saying, okay, I understand it's talking about that, you know, we have Colin here, a resident Tumatara expert. Tumatara are two sides of the same coin, right? Like, I could say that, I could still say that he's talking about Indian Tuma or Indian Tara when he's talking about Tara, because after all, what is Tara from? It's being Matara Tuma. But that's not what Rava answered. I mean, we don't know, maybe that probably would be what Rava answered. But for Papa, be that as it may, had his own shot. Papa, the horrid Tuma Areva. All right, that's in order to remove the Tuma from the Klee. Echi dummy. 
Okay, so he's gonna bring in a new case here. So the dough, remember the dough that's stuck in the trough, Geronowitz? And it's and it's like take over there. So let's say what happened if it, a, a sheretz touched it. So the pesach the yisur chashiv choitzitz. So on pesach again, all you need is a kazayis of this dough for it to be considered chashiv. So then it's considered what an independent entity, and therefore, right, it's going to be amazingly in this particular case. Finally saving. Finally, this caked over dough came in handy. The fact that it's more than a, 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 a kazayas actually helps you because it's considered a chatzitza. Once it's considered a chatzitza, then even if a sheret creepy crawly came upon it, it's not going to impart too much to the kli because it was protected by this teflon or as it were chametz layer of caked over uh, chametz interposing between right the kli and the sheretz and the kli becomes not it does not uh, contract, contract this tumah. As the Gemara says, the tumah is not going to descend upon this kli. However, Bishashi Manshana, the Bikveda Talia Milsa, right? Uh, the rest of the year, where, where the whole thing is going to depend on whether, right, you're Makhbid on or not, so you Makhbid or Love Chotzit. So if it's a removable thing that you're going to take away at some point, then yes, it protects the Kli and it's Chatzitza. However, However, the rest of the year, if you're going to leave the bread there as part of the Kli, then even if a Sheretz came on it, it doesn't protect it. It, and it's considered like part of the kli, and in fact, by virtue of the fact that you were that you were not mocked, you were roitzu bikiyumo. The sheretz has actually been mitami now the entire kli just by touching, even if it only touched this bread portion. Whew! Amazing. Okay, we got twenty minutes. So let's do it. Afterburners, Mishnah, uh, in the middle of mevavim dalaf. But say kacherish, deaf bread. What's going on? Well, it's, Rashi explains how it's like a cherish. It's like a cherish because Rashi says, just like when you look at a person who's, who's hard of hearing, you can't tell because after all, they do have ears and the ears are the same size. They don't have any indication that they have diminished hearing. So too, this is deaf dough in the sense that you know it must be chametz already, but, for, but you just don't see the usual signs of the cracking and rising that you see with leavening uh, dough. And so it's not showing the physical signs, but you know it's been like hours. So that's called Batsa Kacherish. It's probably for sure Chametz, but where are all the signs of Chametz? So let's see. Says the Mishnah, Well, how could you tell? Double blind study, um, you know, when you have, oh, what, what, what is it called? Oh, come on, experimentation. The control. Thank you. Uh, okay, almost forgot. Okay, so uh, like any experiment, if you have the control, it helps. Right, if you have another dough sitting next to it that you mix at the same time, and you saw that this already rose fully, so then you know that it must have the other one must have risen as well. Hareza also, then it's gonna be also. So right then, the one that you, did, you didn't see the physical signs of rising, you got to know that it must have risen, just didn't look like it. So the Gemara is gonna discuss a lot more as follows. The Gemara asks the obvious question: Okay, but what if you don't have control? What if you don't have its sister that got mixed at the same time rising? So at what point can you assume the bread mixed with flour, right? Flour mixed with uh, water, rather. That's for, that's the ratio it's supposed to rise. At what point did you assume that it's chametz, even though you don't see the signs? So the Gemara answers uh, as follows. Amar Rabbi Baba, Amar Rabbi Shimon Melakish, Kedeshi Yelech, Adam, and Migdal Nunya Latveria. It's the amount of time, or the amount of distance, we'll see, from Migdal Nunya to Tveria, mill, which is a mill, okay? A mill takes about 18 minutes to walk. We'll call it a mile. I mean, it's not exactly a mile, but it, it's an 18-minute walk. Okay, so now, so uh, the Gemara says, the name a mill. Okay, so why is he saying the mill from Migdal Nunya Latveria? Just saying mill. So the Gemara answers, HaKamash Malan, Deshur, the mill to Migdal Nunya of Atveria. It was a good time to learn the fact that the distance from Migdal Nunya to Tveria is a mill. And so now we learn two things. That you have to wait a mill until it becomes Chametz, and that that's the distance between Migdal Nunya and Tveria. Okay. So now, so now we're going to have an unrelated halacha, but really it's related in the sense that it has to do with mills. And it's also in the name of Rish Lakish as follows. Amar Rabbi Abba, in fact, quoting him. Amar Rabbi Abba, Amar Rabbi Lakish, Le Gabal. We already learned what the word Gabal means. Gabal means a person that you hire to watch over the kneading of the dough that it doesn't become, right, uh, tummy. Vilatfila, Davening, we'll see what this means. Vilatfila, Siyadayim, Arba Milin. Okay, so what is this shear of Arba Milin? So as follows. As follows. When you have, uh, first of all, Tfila is Tfila Betzibur. This is Allah Lamaisa, guys. 
How far do you have to go to daven tefillah b'tzibur? Wow. So let's take it one at a time. Gabal is a hired person who needs your bread. So he has to travel up to what? Four mil says here. Abra milin. Four mil in order to dunk the, the kalim, right? Uh, if you have to go further in order to right, take care of your job and, and do the tefillah for the kalim, you're going to have to be compensated extra for that. But four mil is like considered part of your job description of how much effort you're supposed to do to keep all those kalim taller. Similarly, tefillah, right? Literally tefillah but tibor. You have to go out of your way 72 minutes in order. So you're on, you're on the road. This is a traveler. You're on the road. A minion is 72 minutes away. This happens to a lot of travelers. So how far away do you have to go for a minion? So I heard la halacha um, that if it's, and we're going to see, the Gemara is going to say it. Some people, the Paskin la halacha, that if it's in your way, so Barry is driving down to Philly and, and he didn't catch a minion in B'nai Jacob Shire Zion. So he has to go 72 minutes out of his way. That's pretty serious. That's if it's along your way. That just means that you'll do the rest stop 72 minutes later. Don't stop now. Daven at the rest stop on your way. If you're going out of your way, so then it's one mil. It's eight. We'll see that in the Gemara. It's 18 minutes, okay? And then Tilas similarly. You, you ever see the trick where you have no, uh, uh, no water for Natilasi Daim, so then you wrap it, uh, you wrap the, the, the bread. So that's justifiable if there's no Natilasi Daim within 72 minutes. Okay. So, Amar of Nachambar Yitzchak, there he is again. Ivo Amara, according Ivo, the Ar- it wasn't right, so, so it was not Rish Lakish, but Ivo who said this alacha. The Arba, Arba Amarba, the Chalaminai Ibud. Okay. So, so he didn't only say the three halachas. When I recorded this, he wasn't just talking about Gabal, Pil, and Natilasi Daim. There was also a fourth idea, and that was Ibud, the working of leather. What's this working of leather? So we learned it in a Mishnah. The Mishnah says in Chulin as follows: the Chulan Sheibdan, that when you're working the leather, or Shehilak Behem Kedeavoda Tahorim, or Shehilak Behem Kedeavoda, they were they just kind of like trampled upon during the time of leather work their tar. What's going on here? So it's talking about animal skins. Animal skins, when you first kill the animal, are kind of tender, and you could actually eat them, and they're edible. So you might consider in the category of food in order to be mekabel tuma. But once you've trampled on them and pounded them for seventy-two minutes. So that also falls into the category of something where four mil is significant. Once you've been pounding it for, four, for 42 minutes, then it is no longer considered food. And at that point, it is already not going to be makabal tuma because that's, that, because then it's considered inedible. However, chutzme or adam, how you got this? What's this uh, human skin doing here? I have no idea. But human skin is going to remain tame even if you pounded it for four mil. Okay. And again, how much is the time of leather working? So amar, ayvu, amar, milin. So it's a fourth thing that has this arba mil shear. So if anybody asks you, what are the four things that have a shear of arba milin, you'll have it at the top of your head. The gabal, the tefillah, the tilsi daim, and the skins. Okay. Now, qualifying a little bit, as we said earlier, this is where the lacha comes from. Amar Yosi Berchanina, Lo Shanu El Lefanov. That in all these cases, it's only when it's in your way. In other words, if you're a traveler, first of all, and you're going in the direction of somewhere, so then you have to go 72 mil sort of in your way uh, in order to go, let's say, to a minion. Avala Acharav, but when you have to go out of your way, Afilu Mil Eino Choser, then he doesn't even have to return a mil. So, first of all, this is a this is, the article kind of sorts it out, that it means that if it's less than a mil, then you are choser. So maybe not 18 minutes, but if it's 17 and a half minutes, then you have to go out of your way. See what I mean? But he says, a filu mil ain't a choser, right? That even if it's a mil, you don't have to go back. So that's what I'm saying. The article is quoting, quoting Postgame, right? That says that if it was less than a mil, you would have to go back. Okay, there's a, there's a, there's a bir, the chay adam, the bir alacha, there's, there's some halachas here about what would be the halacha if you're not a traveler at all, right? What if you're just sitting at home? Um, actually, this, this inference that if it's less than a mil, you have to go back is in the last shtickle here in the Gemara. Amar vacha, umina milhu de'inochozer, apachas milchozer. There it is. That's la halacha. That if it's pachas mil, you're going to have to be chozer. Okay, even though you're going out of your way. But again, with regards to what if you're home, you're not on the road at all. So that, that would be an interesting, uh, so you have to, you have to look into the, uh, into the postscript to see how far away you have to go to daven with a minion to get the TLC dime, etc. Very interesting. So now we're in the mission of the bottom of Vavim Aleph, and we're presented with one of the most fascinating conundrums I've ever seen at the very symbolic time of 6.13 a.m. as follows. How are you mafresh chala from dough that's tame on Pesach? This is quite a conundrum. 
and the Mishnah itself is going to offer several solutions. What's the conundrum? Again, the dough is tame, and the conundrum is as follows. Challah, that's tame, you can't even be eaten by a Kohen. Okay? So if it can't be eaten by a Kohen and you're separating out challah, then you can't bake it on Yantiv. Why? Because bake on Yantiv is only mutter, what? For the sake of Ochel Nefesh. If you know that it's Katame and nobody's going to be able to eat it, then you can't, right? Then you can't bake it. Okay? So you say, okay, well, set it aside as challah and burn it. Yeah, well, you can't burn it. First of all, you can't burn it right away because you can't destroy it. You can't destroy challah because you can't destroy what? Truma. Right? This is supposed to go to the Kohen. So it's, so it's, it's truma. You can't destroy something that's, that's truma on yuntiv. Okay? So you can't destroy it. You can't, um, bake it. And you can't set it aside for later because it's Pesach. So it's going to become chametz. <laughs> okay? So again, the three possibilities are leave it, burn it, right? Or bake it, right? Either bake it, leave it unbaked, or burn it. If you, again, if you bake it, then you're also because nobody can eat it. If you leave it, it's going to become chavetz. And if you, right, and, and if you just burn it, then you can't burn it because it's still too kaddish to burn. So what are you supposed to do? So, suggestions. Okay, means you don't designate it as chala until you bake it. In other words, first bake it. So now you're not, bake, now you're baking something that's potentially edible. The Beseir Omer, Tatil Betsonin. The Beseir says no. You, in order to prevent chimuts, so we said that if you left it over, it's going to become chavetz. So he said, put it in cold water, stop the chimuts process. And then just leave it till after. Wow. And Amar Rabbi Yeshua, Lo Zehu Chamech Shemuzarna Lo Bebal Yerai Bal Yimatzei. Rabbi Yeshua says an unbelievably revolutionary shot as we turn to Mavav and Beis that that Bal Yerai Bal Yimatzei right is only talking about something that what that is yours. But here this belongs to somebody else, right? You set it aside for the coin. As therefore he says, Elam Afrishasa Umani Chasa Ada Eir Vimichmitza Yichmitza. Can you imagine? You're Mafresh Chala. Let it rise. Okay, so it'll be bread. It's not your bread. Amazingly, it's okay because he doesn't own it. All right, so let's, let's kick this around the Gemara. This becomes fascinating. So the Gemara says, so again, Rabbi Shua at the end of this mission is saying that you're not responsible for challah even though it rose on Pesach because it's not yours. So this was Rabbi Shua's Chiddush. Everyone else seemed to disagree, right? But the other didn't, didn't have that shot. So says the Gemara, Lema betovas uh, What's tovas hanah? It's the gratitude of the coin. Remember, when you're mafresh challah, you can give it to any coin you want, right? So when you give it to a specific coin, he says, thank you very much. There's a gratitude there because you didn't have to give it to him. So this tovas hanah, this benefit that the coin has, he now kind of owes you one, right? So the Rabbi Yezus says, well, the fact that he owes you one, Andrew, is actually like, that's, you, that's monetized. Right? That's considered, and it's monetized enough that that's considered yours. And therefore you're going to be over with it on Pesach. However, Rabbi Shua holds that just because he owes you one doesn't mean that this challah still um, relates back to you. And therefore, you can just let it rise and it's not yours. Wow. The Gemara says, low. That can't be the Machlokest. Everybody holds that Tobasana, that's not substantial. It's kind of just like out there in the ether, but still, it's not really Mammon. It's not yours. So what would be the Machlokest? Guys, we, we could spend a month on each one of these suggestions. But anyways, these are, we're bringing in like different Shasugyas into this one amazing case. Anyways. So they're arguing about the concept of Hoyle. Hoyle tech, um, literally means since. What's the Hoyle here? Right? That if he wanted, since, if he wanted to, right, he could go to, Itchel means, Daskashela, you go to Chacham, to undo the designation of Chala, that would mean that even if he designated the Chala, then retroactively he could decide that a different portion of the Chala was Chala in the first place. Aha. So since he could go and, and reverse it, Mamonehu, right? So Rabbi Yezer would say that since you could always reverse it, then you can't just have cognitive dissonance and say that this rising piece of Chala in my kitchen doesn't belong to me, right? Because in theory, it could belong to you because it's always still reversible. So it still has some connection to you, Andrew. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda, however, says that you don't say this. We, and therefore, if then you can't take it back. And since there's no backseas, then this is not going to be considered yours. And therefore, it's okay if it's just rising there. Okay. Once we mention Hoel, 
Hoyle literally means since, right? Otherwise known as unforeseen circumstances that can impact halacha. So once we already mentioned Hoyle, now we're going to get into the real Hoyle that you might recall from Sechah's Beisah and Hoyle as follows. Itmar. Let's say somebody bakes says from Yantiv to Chol. So if Chisda Omer Loke, you get Malkus for this. You're not allowed to bake on Yantiv. You are, but only for Ochal Nefesh. You can't bake on Yantiv for the next day. And Rabba Omer Eino Loke. The, the Malkus here is going to be for what? For baking the Isser. The Malkus baking on Yantiv. So Rabba says, no, you're not going to be mal- get Malkus for that. You're not punished. Why? Right? Because of this idea, you might recall, you might have visits, visitors, guests. So if guests might come, so if you said, well, guests might come, and therefore when you're baking it even for tomorrow, the guests might come today, and therefore it turns out that you really baked it for today, and therefore baking on Yantiv for Yantiv is mutter. So that's called Therefore, if that's the case, if we hold of Hoyl, then it means that the potentiality the potential of guests coming makes this baking mutter. That's why Rechista would say that, um, right? So, but Rechista says, lo amin and hoil. Since Rechista says that we don't, that we disregard this potentiality, he's going to say loke. And Rabba, amar ain't loke because amin and hoil. Rabba says that we are not going to give him this punishment because we say that maybe guests will come and therefore this afia will retroactively, this baking will be considered that you baked for Yontav itself, which is in fact mutter for Ochal Nefesh. So Rav Chista said again that he's Malkus Amalei Rabbel Rav Chista. Okay, so you don't hold of oil. So Eich Ofen Mi Yontav L'Shabbos. But we know that you're allowed to bake on Yontav from Yontav to Shabbos, but don't forget, if you're doing that, don't forget the Erev Tavshilin, which was Rav Chista's answer. Amalei, you should make Erev Tavshilin. What are you talking about? You made an Erev Tavshilin. I mean, you might be right, but because you made an Erev Tavshilin, you could bake from Yontav to Shabbos. So the so Rabba says, "You should eruve Tavshilin, Shabbos, Yisur, Daraisa." Yeah, but you of Chisda, you're giving Malkus now Midoraisa, and so you think it's an Isur Daraisa. So what? The Erev Tavshilin, which was a what? A shtick of the Chachamin. The, the Rabbanan can do, dispense with the Chi of Daraisa with the Erev Tavshilin. The Rabbanan. So Amalei Midoraisa Tzarech Shabbos Nasa Biyantiv. Now, so Chisda is explaining as follows: That really Midoraisa Miikar Hadin, you can in fact what? Bake for Shabbos on Yantiv. However, Rabbanan who the Gazer Gazera, the whole Gazera that you shouldn't be able to bake. In other words, you certainly can't bake. You can bake on Yantiv for Yantiv, and you can bake for Shabbos as well. You just can't bake for Chol. However, the Rabbanan made a Gazera, you should not really be able to bake from Yantiv to Shabbos either. Why? Because if you allow to bake from one day to another, meaning from Yantiv to Shabbos, people will get confused, and they would think that you're allowed to bake on Yantiv uh, in all cases, even if it's a chol following a yantiv. Okay, so that's what the Rabbanan said. They said, you can bake for Shabbos. However, people are going to get confused. And therefore, the function of the Erev Tafilin is not to allow something that's usher, but rather to create a heker so that you understand the distinction between baking from Shabbos to yantiv, uh, from yantiv to Shabbos, and from yantiv to chol. Okay, so 11 lines up from the bottom of Mbavavan Bays. We have three minutes. We'll finish this up over here, up to the last line. Let's say you have an animal. And it's dangerously ill. So what do you, you don't want to lose all the animals, so you're going to shecht it, and then you're going to eat some of it on Yantiv. Because remember, to eat it on Yantiv, you can shecht it. But this is a giant animal. Who eats a whole animal? So we say like this. Um, the Bryce has said, this sounds a lot like a Mishnah and Beza, but it's not exactly the Mishnah. But basically, it may sound familiar to you. So he says, That the Tanakhama says, you're not allowed to shecht this animal to eating it unless you can have enough time to roast this uh, kazais of it for Yantiv itself. Right? Even if you don't actually, so the implication is even if you're not going to actually eat it, as long as you check it, it's okay. So, oil. So, right, we're going to say that Rabbah is going to explain, I hold of oil. So, oil in this case means that if I want to, I could eat it. And because I could eat it, I could check the animal. But since you seem to be rejecting this whole principle of oil, why are you allowing him to check it? So, I'm a layer of answers, yeah, because he's losing a lot of money. So Rabbi asks, What does that mean? But you're going to allow this Israel to rise of shechting the animal on Yantiv just because you're going to lose a lot of money? So I'm like, In, yeah. 
that was a good enough reason why it's not so much that the Hefzid Mammon uh, trumps the Isidaraisa. It's just that the Hefzid Mammon is going to uh, convince the guys this is more than Hoel. Because of the Hefzid Mammon, he's going to for sure eat the Kazayas. And the only way he could eat the Kazayas is by shechting the entire animal. And that's why he could do so on Yantiv. So we've arrived in the last line of Memvav Amad Bez. Okay.